This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. I found a sweatshirt in the closet, so that put me in a good mood today. Very Atta comfortable. Boy. And I can wear that because Wisconsin basketball is playing well, so I feel some pride wearing it right now. Uh, but I am doing very well. Awesome week 18, starting with Saturday into Sunday. Great action. Every game was fun. Uh, yeah, a lot of interesting things to talk about. Entering wildcard week, which is going to be fantastic. I know we're going to be talking about that, but great, 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 great week 18. That Good way to wrap it up. Fantastic weekend of football. Colts-Texans was everything I wanted it to be last night. Playoff energy. A lot of stuff we'll dig into with that one. Today, there were entertaining, meaningful, juicy results the entire day that ended with a fantastic Sunday night football game that was pretty much everything you could have wanted from a Buffalo Bills performance in 2023. One of the most Josh Allen games that has ever Josh Allen in every single way. We got a red zone wonky turnover. We yep. got an unnecessary fumble. My favorite thing that we got a wild horse bull in a china shop third and 13 scramble with the game on the line. That's great. My favorite thing he did in this game, though, was the looking at the sideline while sneaking. It's like, mm. Josh, they'll tell you. They will let you know if you got the just first down. Forward. Just just you move n- forward. They'll let you know. Don't worry about it. You don't have to concern yourself. He did with it that. twice. He did it twice on that final drive. He's yeah. He's everything. He's everything. Professor Chaos was in full effect. We got it early. We usually get that. We got it early. Like it hasn't even gotten to the playoffs yet. We got a nice little sampling of week eighteen. It's like we got more of this to come. Cannot wait. A lot of the chaotic energy from the Bills, but a lot of the good. That comes with the Buffalo Bills as they wrap up the two seed with a huge win against Miami. They will win the AFC East. They will host a playoff game. They will play at home until the AFC championship game. All shit that absolutely matters. And there were elements of this Bills team today that I give you a lot of credit for, for identifying and believing in through about the Bills for years, but especially over the last few weeks. Even with all that chaotic energy and some of the turnovers, Josh Allen made some big plays and some big throws in this game in the same way that he always does. The fadeaway go ball to Stefan Diggs, the throw to Dalton Kincaid down the left sideline in a little pick play, which poor Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram signs with the Dolphins on December 12th. This guy is two weeks removed from the same Thanksgiving meal all of us had. He thinks he's going to be a situational pass rusher that has to play 10 snaps a game. And now he's having to cover Dalton Kincaid 20 yards down the field. Shuffling. He was shuffling with him. He was like, oh, my God. He was. He Oh, as a man who's got the the Thanksgiving Christmas 15 on right now. I feel very (laughs) bad for Melvin Ingram in that moment. But a great play by the Bills. It was great. Same kind of deal. Khalil Shakir slot fade kind of pick play in a huge moment and something you've said about the defense consistently and they showed up in this way in the second half talked about this defense being a potential game planny sort of unit that when they get to the postseason they can throw some weird stuff at you because they have veteran players they have some versatile pieces and they have an experienced defensive play caller and i thought that's what you saw in the second half some of those three safety looks some of the moments that we got from the dbs and Tua was in hell I mean, to steal a turn from you, the walls of Jericho were in play for Tua and the Dolphins passing game in that half. And I think those are the elements. That's the seasoning with this Dolph or this with this Buffalo team specifically that I think can get you excited about what sort of postseason challenge they might be for anybody. 
it, it's the they were bringing blitzes stuff i aggressive stuff that you don't really see from this bills team sometimes we've seen once in a while in the past remember the game actually that ken dorsey ended up getting fired for there's a cover <laughs> he was emotional cover zeros uh but that's when they had they started had to get to that was sean mcdermott had to get experiment with his defenses and bring a little bit more funky than he likes to he usually just likes to sit and cover three and cover four and just make you play and nickel and dime you and now this defense is their 10th and weighted dvoa they're third in EPA per drive since week 11. Um, I just picked like an arbitrary halfway point. I just said week 11. Sure. Why not? Uh, but that, but that seems right. It gives that you a general right. feel for what this team and, feels like. Yeah. And then, and they're more middle of the pack, like 14th, 16th and all the success rate metri- metrics. And that feels about right. They feel about the 12th best, 14th best defense right now. But again, it's that kind of Bengals, Lou Anarumbo stuff and Sean McDermott stuff. That's exactly throw, where they would end up typically. Those it. Bengals teams were somewhere in the middle over the last couple yep. of years. And if you can throw some really well-designed game planning, okay, this is what you do well. This is our specific answer to that yep. for three or four games in the playoffs. You can do some damage with this sort of offense. And I think that even if you include the chaos and you're concerned about some of the volatility that Josh Allen brings, this is still a good offense that can really get hot in the right moments. What the Bills have had to do with their offense is what their defense is doing to some of these offenses, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. They're making these offenses get to their secondary and their auxiliary answers and all these types of things. I mean, the Dolphins only had one successful play this entire second half until that final two-minute drive, and they only had a couple more. Were you surprised they didn't run the ball more? They ran the ball three times for seven yards in that half after running it really efficiently in the first half. I thought they were going to keep at it, to keep at it, to keep at it, to keep at it. It wasn't like the game was out of hand, especially because they're getting the turnovers and everything. Maybe they just didn't have enough plays sometimes, you know, to get behind the sticks sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I was surprised about that. But it's just been this. I I actually think some of these injuries have forced this defense to get creative. And then this is the formula that we've now seen this Bills offense score and win in different ways. We saw them pound the rock a few weeks ago where – Josh Allen's like 7 of 14 for like 90 yards. Now we see chaotic Josh. We've seen efficient Josh. We've seen all his versions throughout the season. But that's this is what you want into the playoffs. A game plan to defense. You can run the ball with your running backs or yeah. your quarterback if you have to. And you can have the quarterback just go, you know, absolutely nuclear. And now they have like their pass catchers are all kind of making sense. Now this game was perfect. Like perfect example. It was nice to see digs back and making a huge impact on a game combined with what Shakir can give you in some of those moments. Sherfield is fine. Sherfield is the, he is the most number three receiver who has ever number three received. I mean, he was that guy for the Niners, right? Though yeah. think about the guys that have played that role. San Francisco is perfect because they have all these aliens at their top pass catcher spots. So who's the number three receiver? And He's over like the, the last true five dirty years, work guy. Kendrick Bourne, Trent yes. Sherfield, Jawan Jennings. Jawan Je- like those yes. those are those guys. And so Trent Sherfield becomes that for the Bills, especially after Gabe Davis goes down. So great call. I'm with you. I I think that they absolutely have those elements to yeah. them. And I think that them getting the two seed. No matter how winding the road, it all ended in a place we kind of expected it to end. That's funny you say that. The first note I wrote was a long, winding, twisted road for this Bills team. but I, And then it was, nobody circles the wagons in a jagged line like the Buffalo Bills. That's 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 what this team is in 2023. But it's fun. It, no matter what, it's damn entertaining. And that's We'll get to that in a second in terms of what their wild yeah. curve matchup is going to look like. So that's how oh, I yeah. feel about the Bills. And I, I'm excited to see them in the playoffs. This Miami team, and we were talking about them on the preview show, we were discussing the fact that they had lost some of that venom that we felt like they had earlier in the season. No Jalen Waddle. Obviously, the offensive line is still banged up, even if it was healthier tonight. This is one of those games where it reminds you of the struggles that Tua can have when teams take away 
that first option and kind of make him go through option A, option B, option C, and everything isn't immediately available to him within the structure of a play. And so it kind of exposes those warts and those shortcomings, those deficiencies with this team when things aren't running on time and the trains aren't running on time. And it does give me a little bit more pause, even than I had coming into this week, about what this offense might look like as we get into the playoffs and they have to play against defenses like this, like Kansas City, like Baltimore. They have not played well against good teams and good defenses this year, and you're about to face a slate of them if you can string together a couple wins where you have to go up against one every single week. And I think of the term the no laying up guys, the golf guys have about uh, a, a golfer named Tony Finau, where they call them the meal skinners. Like when they get with the class, they don't really like hit the you know hit the top marks. They're kind of more in the middle of the pack. But when they go into the lesser kind of classes, they really just dominate. And that's what the Dolphins feel like because I, I think you just nailed it. All the matchups that they have, that's why I'm worried. Yeah. Chiefs is real funky with them, and they played that game in London where in the first half We've they made seen it an entire slog. We've already seen it. We've, now we already seen them play the Ravens. We already seen at them play Arrowhead, those. Zero degree the weather. Yeah. Several people tweeted the weather already, and so it's like, okay, yeah. So you're getting you know, all these defenses that aren't great matchups for them. So that's why it just makes it so difficult to kind of picture this path that they might have to get on, especially with weather, especially with wind going to the outside, and it just really feels like like. You said tracks, and that's what it like. Tua always just feels like he's hitting the same throw over and over, and it feels like it's he literally on a track. is. It's in the exact that's same it. part of the field. It's, it's the same thing. That's when you said tracks. I'm thinking the hash, and it's like just that's exactly what it is. It's that same exact throw over and over. So um, that's why I'm I'm worried when you're going against this these the class of the class defensive coordinators that the AFC has. I mean, they have half a dozen of them, basically four or five of them, in uh, just in this uh, conference alone. I don't want to. Right there, obituary just yet. We're about to start the postseason. But I do think that the Dolphins are heading for a potentially interesting offseason conversation that to me is a familiar offseason conversation. We've seen this a lot over the last decade or so. And I think the best example is the Jared Goff Rams. You have this Wunderkind offensive play caller come in. And he has this hyper-specific, incredibly devastating offensive system that takes the league and defenses by storm for a year, for two years. But it isn't driven by an elite quarterback that makes a lot of plays outside of the structure of that system. And eventually, you get to a place where you have to answer a question about how far that team makeup can take you. And I think that Tua has done a lot of really impressive stuff for this Dolphins offense. They have been hyper elite for long stretches of the last two years. But I would also not be surprised if we got to a point over the next month or so and into this spring and then especially into next year because he has a contract coming up. They have to make Uh that decision Uh where we're maybe having some of those same considerations about this Dolphins team and how it compares to some of those other models that we've seen over the last four or five years. It's one of the most interesting ones, especially the other guys that are drafted in his class and the the contracts that they've been on already. And it's like, okay, yours isn't been answered. Of course, he's had the injury stuff as well. And I actually thought, I mean, there's been jokes about the jujitsu stuff or Judo, ju- I don't know which jiu-jitsu. one. Jiu jitsu. It's jiu jitsu. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, but uh, how he learned to fall, I know there's been jokes about it, but I do think it's actually helped. Like, he actually does take those falls better and he gets rid of the ball and he has a plan now. He's learned to kind of really take care of himself. Um, but it, it's, it's tough when you just see, again, when you see what these guys are in the playoffs and the, the, what you're going against. Just or de facto again, playoff games like this one. A de facto playoff game when, 
the other guy is running on third and 13 through two people and splitting them. And you can't even do short yardage. You can't even do sneaks in your entire offense. And there's the bills. Just <laughs> like you said, there's Josh Allen looking at the sideline, trying to get it. And it's like, okay, we're going against that. Okay. Well, who else do we go against Mahomes, Lamar? Yeah, I mean, just, just even just think all these other top tier guys. And we're not even just getting the guys that right. people are like, Oh, who are they? Burrow, Trevor, Stroud, uh, Anthony Richardson, when he comes back, like these guys that are just absolute monsters. And that, uh, so you're going against that. And I think that's when you get to this point. It's like, or what are we? What is our ceiling? Like, what are we capped out where everything has to be perfect? So uh, it's going to be interesting how they answer it, what they just go about, how they go about it. And we've seen this a bunch where oh, yeah. when you have that guy on a rookie contract, what you can do to build around him gives you a real shot. But when you get to the point where you have to decide whether or not you're going to pay him, we've had some missteps there. And I think the two best examples are the golf contract and the Wentz contract, where yep. those teams won a Super Bowl and went to a Super Bowl respectively because in part of what they were able to build around that guy. They had the resources to build an incredible roster around them, and they had a definitive schematic advantage. Look at what the Dolphins did this offseason. They have Tyree Kill. They traded for yep. Jalen Ramsey. They went and got yep. Teron Armstead in free agency. Yep. They, made, Bradley they traded for Bradley Chubb. They paid Bradley they paid Chubb. <laughs> All of this stuff. And th- yep. this is normal. This is very typical for a team at this stage of the process. But at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, what are we beyond this stage yep. of the process? And I think, again, it's a little bit early, but I would not be surprised if we were having a similar discussion, similar set of conversations about the Dolphins very soon. They're trying to expand their – I won't say band of time, but band of outcomes. And that's what it is. I think with Tua, you're just you're hitting this thin line. And I think that golf comparison is perfect where it's like you have all these vets playing very well. Once the injury bug started hitting, that, that's what and you're that, worried about. Because, and that's what's tough. Yeah. And that's what the roster is built out of, though. It's high risk, high reward roster. There's and no doubt about that. You made it. The, <laughs> you signed that, that Teron Armstead contract in blood. Like you knew not, exactly what you were doing. You, and again, he I'm stayed relatively healthy. <laughs> he did actually. Yeah. He really did. I know of all the offensive linemen. Um, but I was even. Uh, but just look at comparison. Just I'm just drawn again to that 2017 Rams team. But Whitworth and Robert Woods, those guys don't miss a lot of time. Those guys were playing. They were some of the healthiest game. teams in the NFL during that stretch. And I think that That's, is the biggest disconnect. Well, Maybe why that team hit yes. enough of the correct outcomes to get where they did and this Dolphins Absolutely. team has fallen a little Absolutely. bit short. But that's a conversation that we'll be able to oh, have yeah. a lot oh, here yeah. over the next month or so. It's still going to be a great to, game. Don't get me wrong. Uh, oh, it's going to be awesome. awesome. And we're, we're going to get to it in a Sorry, second. Dolphins fans. We're not doing anything because this offense is still can run the ball. They still can be explosive. So it's still going to be pretty pretty freaking awesome uh, to see it uh, go again in uh, uh, Arrowhead. It is a great game, and we're going to get to those great games right now. It's time for You Have My Attention. Gentlemen, you have my curiosity. But now you have my attention. I'm cheating here. The 2023-24 NFL playoffs, you have my attention. I am very excited about the matchups that we have gotten out of this weekend. There was part of me when I was thinking about the best possible outcomes here. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, you know, the Jags win, the Bills win. We get Trevor Lawrence in the playoffs with that, you know, and even though that Jags team is flawed. But now that this is all settled, I'm talking myself into this being the ideal set of teams that we could have gotten simply because I think that Steelers Bills has more bullshit potential than any game in recent memory. We have chaos Josh Allen. We have whatever the dark magic of the Pittsburgh Steelers is Mm -hmm. where we're going to get two 90 yard George Pickens touchdowns. Mason Rudolph's going to have eight completions on the day, but he's going to throw for 340 yards. The Bills are going to turn the ball over six times, but it's still going to be close in the fourth quarter. 
and apparently the weather is going to be horrendous in Buffalo. Yes. So we have all of that stuff potentially on the table. So I have walked back my feelings about the Steelers being in the playoffs simply because I want to see that game. And then if you run through every other matchup, we got some good ones here. So I, mm-hmm. I want to pose this to you. Your favorite wild card matchup now that we have all of them set. What do you have for me? It's the one I've willed into existence. I think a few of us have, but Rams versus Lions. It's so They're good. The- it's it's I've, I once I realized that was a possibility. It was like, <gasps> and I didn't want to get ahead of myself. So, and it's so good. It's so it's good. Great. And I appreciate it's the great. Niners doing their part today. Yeah, I appreciate the Niners understanding just, that they needed to lose that game for us to get just this. Tap. And just now tap. we have it. <laughs> I am hoping I'm going to go to that game. I'm, I oh. think I'm going to go to that game. So I'm yeah. very much looking forward to that. Short drive. It's four hours. I was going to say, get, what is I'll that drive there? from Chicago? To it's like That's four and a half hours. So I'm gonna, I think I'm going to try to get out there. but So that is also my answer because the Wick scale is not even made for this. There's so no, many no, no. different revenge games that are in play here. And we're going to talk about that in the preview show a little bit later this week. I think some people are construing this as a Matthew Stafford revenge game. This is not a Matthew Stafford revenge game at all compared no. to the Jared Goff revenge game element of this. Yeah, so the, that the is what we have to look aside. forward to. Yes, the guy was the guy throwing got- the trash. He got Marty Janetti. He got thrown through the glass window by Sean McVay. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's what he. Uh, yeah, no, this is a full blown Jared Goff, like full past five. Uh, yeah, this is past five. Uh, John Wicks for this one, but you're you're right. Uh, I I love that you brought up that like Steelers uh, Bills matchup because like that's one of those games where they flash up the graphic and it's like a tie score near the end of the third quarter. And it's like Steelers zero for eleven on third down, <laughs> Bills. Three for 12 on third down. And it's like tie game, 13 13. It's like, what? How? How? And there's a block punt. And yes, I, I think it's going to be slushy. And I think it's Sunday. It's going to be windy. So yeah, we're, yeah, definitely just going to be some muck ball in that game. I'm very much looking forward to that. But there are also some other really good ones. Packers at Cowboys is fantastic for the Mike McCarthy aspect that of was, this. That's the runner event. We got more revenge game stuff there. We have Jordan Love playing the way that he's playing, which we're going to get yeah. into against this Cowboys team and Dak Prescott. That's an excellent game. Brown's defense against CJ Stroud. We, yes. Last time we saw Brown's Texans this year, we did not get CJ Stroud. Now we do. Mm-hmm. Very excited about what that mm-hmm. looks like. Eagles Bucks rematch. This Eagles team is reeling. Yeah. The Bucks think could this, potentially beat this Eagles team. This is Todd Bowles versus Jalen Hurts part duh. And that that oh that's that's very interesting, especially what happened today in that first half of that game. Loving <laughs> that. It's weak. And Chiefs Dolphins is a great game. It's a great, great game. game. Even with all yeah. the stuff we talked about, that offense against the Chiefs defense, can Mahomes do enough? What does this Chiefs team look like in the postseason? So that's you know, I, I totally agree with you about Rams Lions, but I think there are a lot of options here. Oh yeah, the, uh, my my podium was Rams Lions, Packers Cowboys, and then my sneaky one was uh, uh, Eagles Bucks because I do think that's just kind of like a sneaky, like interesting matchup. But also. This is like a winner for all of us is we get a nice mix of dome matchups and then a couple weather games. Mm-hmm. So it's not weather, 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 weather. Every game you see is slush and wind and everything. So, it's You are so soft now. You, sp- you so spent you like Houston? five years in Vegas and this man no longer freezing. wants to see weather playoff I'm games. Freezing. I'm freezing. It was like 36 this morning. I was like, no, and windy. It was terrible. But yeah, at Houston, you got Arrowhead, which was I think it's going to be weather. It's like zero degrees. But at Buffalo, which also weather, Dallas, Detroit, Tampa Bay. So I think that's also great because then I, I just feel the warmth at least. As we look past the wild card round, any other potential matchups down the road that you find particularly juicy that you feel yourself wanting to see? 
Oh, sorry to just keep banging the same drum, but 49ers Rams could be awesome in the division. I also had that one. And, yeah. and that's one that could definitely happen. Chiefs Texans could be fun. There's a path where that could happen. I, okay. I, I believe. Yep. Um, and then also uh, Browns Chiefs could be an interesting one. There's a path where that could happen as well. because this I have Browns Southern Ravens is one that I would be yeah. potentially interested in seeing just because of the history and that. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. The Ravens against that. I mean, the Ravens offense against <laughs> Browns defense. Franchi- is that a franchise uh, wick scale on that one? Um, yeah, that. And then the, the Flacco element of it. The last oh, time those yeah. two teams played, there's so many layers to that. About that. I would love to see potentially the Texans offense against the Ravens defense. Yeah, that being be a great test for CJ Stroud. Very into that. And so I, it's like a rematch early from earlier in the year. And that was like a totally different Texans team, it felt like. Part of me really wants to see Cowboys Niners again in the NFC Championship game, just because I think that I want to see this version of the Cowboys and see if they can exercise their demons against the Niners. Right. At the same time, I think Ran- I think Lions Niners NFC Championship game is an awesome football game. The oh. physicality in that game, yeah. all the little the chess match elements of the Lions offense against the Niners defense, that game would be phenomenal. So there are a bunch of them kind of down the pipe, but I do agree that Rams Niners and then Ravens Chiefs is another one that I think I'd be really interested in, partly because I would like, if the Ravens are going to do this, I would like to see them beat the Chiefs on their way. I think there's something beautiful about like having to knock off the champ on your way to the Super Bowl or to your own championship. So them having to do it against Kansas City, I think would be something I'd want to see. That's because you're a Bulls fan. You had that it's, exa- it's exactly with, right. With that. Yeah, it's exactly that's right. So, it fits like so perfectly. I know, there is a the, set of values I have around how championships are won, and yeah. I think that's part of it. And I, I think the um, uh, yeah, any combination of Ravens, Bills, Chiefs, just any of that trio, I'm I'm okay with. Like it's just like yes, I just want to see as many of those matchups if we can as possible. So no, but I, I think that's that's funny that you say that. That you do want to see the the check boxes because the Titans. Just always seem to muck up the matchups that we could possibly see it's in true. the playoffs. They're just like, no, nah, no. Nah. Titans always just found a way to just make it dirty in there. Is there a wild card team you're looking at right now that you think could potentially make a run? I'm going to pull a string on the back right now and say the Los Angeles Rams again. Yeah. I think they it's hit, the right answer. They hit all the thresholds that I look at. Um, they, they have a run game. Uh, when Stafford is on the field, they have the second best run game in the NFL, only behind the Dolphins in terms of success rate. Top five pass game, explosive pass rate, all hit the thresholds. How the turntables have turned, man. Yeah. And then the defense, they uh, they can make it funky. They're not great, but they can make it funky. They're 18th success rate since their bye week, 23rd in way DVOA, and they have a closer, though. They have Aaron Donald. And that, you always have to remember that the pass rush is the great equalizer, and they do have a pretty good pass rush with their young guys and Aaron Donald. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. I, that that would probably be my answer as well. And I do think the Dolphins are capable of that as a wild card team, Absolutely. just because of that the potential we talk about with their offense. That's it. All right, let's get to a couple more here. The Houston Texans. After that game, win and get in. You're in the playoffs. They win the AFC South with a loss from the Jags and that CJ Stroud performance. Everything about the Houston Texans, both on Saturday night and this season, you have my attention. What a moment! <laughs> For this team and this franchise, considering where they were a year ago. Well, talking about narrative, how about that drive in the fourth quarter? It was tw- so cool. That's all That's all you could want, okay? You have this guy Amazing. Who, who seemingly not doesn't come out of nowhere. He was a top five no. pick, but no one thought he was going to be one of the dudes immediately. He gets dropped into this situation with a franchise that has been completely irrelevant and forgettable for the last three years. Uh, nothing about them has been compelling. 
He gets dropped in. He plays fantastic throughout his entire rookie year. He changes everything about the experience of watching that team. And now he's in a de facto playoff game with their season on the line in the biggest moment we've ever seen him in so far. And he gives you everything you want. That's awesome. That there is nothing better than that in the career of a young player when they're presented with that moment and they rise to it in every single way that you want them to. First play, they went bombs away on on a play and shot play. (laughs) You definitely knew that that was just pure tape study because that was Stroud was locked in on that. Yeah, Nick Cross, the safety for the Colts, just got no man's land. When you're in single high, what what is your literal position name? Safety. I couldn't even tell what coverage they were in there. It seemed like he was cheated over a little bit. It was quarters, but then it rotated down to three, into three, and then he kind of he moved over, and he was just in no man's land. He didn't get any depth. He just stood flat footed, and then I I bet you they saw that on film, and so they just said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna run." Some color in front of his face, which was Dalton Schultz, I think, on the play, and they just launched it over but the he top. But he was—he ran like two yards past the line of scrimmage. The linebackers were all right there. It's not like it he was, was pinned down with somebody right no, in front of him. It was—it was—it was, it was, it was, it was a very funny play. But, so launching on the first play, and then a twelve play, seventy yard, seventy three yard drive took off seven minutes in fourth quarter. So it's like, okay, first play, nerve steady. Fourth quarter, nerve steady. After taking a sack on second extra long, he's finding a check down to Dalton Schultz, gives him a chance on third down. And want to know what? Talk about it. Stroud has rare accuracy. And the one play, like right after it, it was a third, that third down that he hits Schultz uh, on that game winning drive. It's like a third and three. And it's a cover two look or just a hanging corner over there. But he pins Schultz on the inside and he hits it on his like front hip. Yeah. And so what he's doing is he's turning him upfield and saving him from the hit and getting a yak opportunity on third down. And it's like, the, this guy's a genius with the football. Like he's an actual dart throw, right? He's an artist where he could just place the ball. And then after that, he hits that dick throw as he's getting hit where he straight up hook shots it. He, well, he that second and 14 out of structure play where he has to throw it into open around. space. Oh, Nico, Nico Nico uh, so he creates a play on that drive. Yep. And then that hook shot play that you're talking about, we've discussed it with him all year. That ability to somehow get no velocity – without being able to step into the th- these yep. throws and while being hit, the velocity and placement on that throw in the biggest moment of his season and arguably arguably the biggest moment of his football yep. life, even though I know he's played in some big games, <laughs> right. he makes that throw and yep. in that moment exhibits everything he's done this season that makes us excited about him. And and this is – I'm sorry, but anyone that's paying attention to you know college football and prospects right now, maybe this is like not to ding the guy, but this is a difference I think of a guy like Stroud and a guy like Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. Penix needs a big platform to throw the ball. He takes big, long steps, and that has me a little bit worried. Watch Stroud and the lack of platform he needs. He can get the ball off by basically with his feet right next to each other and throw hook shots and, like you say, get velocity. Only a couple guys, some of these young guys are getting even better at it than the guys like in the prior generations. Like, because the other guy that I think is really good at those types of throws is Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, which is he's another guy that can kind of be flat footed, throw at awkward angles, and still get a spiral on the ball. But it's the fact that he does that stuff. I've talked about. In prior weeks, getting into secondary reads when the first one's taken away, keeping his cool all the time. He's had several third downs this game where he's working back in the pocket to find the second read, and he's working to throw always from the pocket. And then he has a couple of plays where he scrambles when he needs to. It's he he's just precise with what he does, and he's just a pleasure to watch. I, I, I've said that like five times this year, but he truly is a pleasure. He's one to of watch my favorite play. players in the NFL to watch. Full stop. Already, period. He is one of my Period. favorite players in the league to watch. I, I had Absolutely. such a good time watching that game last night, and he's doing this with no Tank Dell, no Robert Woods, no Noah Brown. 
Could you name another receiver that the, the, the Texans were trotting out there yesterday other than Nico Collins? Was even Mechie playing? Mechie was that? playing. Okay. We, we, had, we had number 19, whose name I don't know. Oh, I mean, there's so many I'm no-name guys. I'm thinking now. All the NPCs that the Texans were running out there receiver last night, and he still <gasps> manages to do this uh, in this moment. I know. It was, All no, of this N- being Nico said. Nico Collins looked great, oh, too. He is. That's <laughs> one of my, that is one of my favorite. I had stock for three years. Let's Let's make it happen sort of things that has happened yeah. in a long time with Nico Collins breaking out this year. I'm very excited about that. So the one thing I will say about the Texans offense. Yes. I understand that in the o- in the aggregate, they have this 2029ers thing where we run the ball inefficiently sometimes because as the as part of the grander plan of who we want to be, we need that element of our offense because of the play action, because of how everything is tied together. I think it's important to take that into consideration when you think about who they are. This game specifically, and in certain moments this year, the pendulum way too far in the wrong direction. Way too far. Their inefficiency running the ball, especially on early downs in this game, almost did them in. And so that element of just them 0.39 yards before contact on early down runs. Like that's the one thing about this team right now that makes me a little bit worried about what they're going to do against really good defenses. That their run game just isn't very good. Other than yeah. that, very very few criticisms. Yeah, I just I, I think maybe it was just that last drive is doing it for me because I, I remember they had a couple of nice runs on there. Obviously, the touchdown single tear is one of them. So maybe it's just in the second half they had some okay ones. But I, I get it. It's the Death by two yard gains. <laughs> it's kind of when you see Stroud just shooting up fireworks. And also the other thing, if we're talking uh, like just maybe blemishes with this Texas team, obviously it was the Colts just marching on them in the run game. Yes, that was of- surprising. Oh, and you're telling me, oh my god, my mom's so mad at me. Give me a player prop. Uh, sorry, Jonathan Taylor under rushing yards because you know the Texas run defense is actually pretty good. Yeah, so th- th- sorry, mom. But uh, but the it was really funny. You could tell Gardner Minshew got the give. A uh, heavy give uh, play call on those RPOs because there were several throw reads that I watched just rewatching the game. And I was like, at least three, maybe four that I saw still handed off to Jonathan Taylor. So, and he went, uh, the Colts went 70 for 36 efficiency wise running the ball. And they, they made those linebackers look like in hell. Blake they Cashman, really, they Christian really Harris, Denzel Perryman, those guys had a rough, rough game, but. They had good plays when it mattered. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually that helps. I think losing Will Anderson and having him being out of the lineup yet last night, he's a very good run defender. I think that they struggled up front, so that's not necessarily surprising. I, f- I found the stats. They had a 23% rushing success rate on first down. They had 13 carries for 45 yards on first down. It's, it's, yeah. just, it's a tough way to live. And you're asking a lot of your quarterback who finished the game 20 of 26 to carry you in those moments. But guess what? Awesome. He was able to. So this Texans team, so much to be excited about. This was essentially a a playoff game for them. Yeah. So we're going to treat the other side of this as a playoff game. Do a little quick Colts postmortem here after losing that game. A tough way for your season to end if you're Indianapolis. But I said this last night. Feel very good about where this team is. Let's talk about some of the decisions made late in the game. Do you have a huge problem with the timeout they called on fourth and one with a minute left? So you a go to two timeouts two, and you two, can no longer two stop the clock three times. A little bit. A little bit. I'd rather have that one in the pocket just to pop it three times. That That's just you know preference. But it was like, I think, didn't I see somewhere that it's like the damage isn't as bad? Maybe I just, I'm over, I'm maybe misconstruing two things I think right the now, damage. But. I think the damage is pretty bad just because yeah. if you don't get it, it ends the game essentially yeah. because yeah. you get the ball back exactly. with like 10 seconds left. And that that's damaging. In the moment though, 
I can understand thinking, okay, if we don't get this and we have three timeouts, we're still getting the ball with maybe a minute left having to go the mm-hmm. length of the field and score a touchdown. No I need anyways. to get into my best play here. What is my best play? I know yeah. that analytically that's not the correct decision, but I get making that choice in the moment if you're Shane Steichen and being like, let's take a beat. What are we yeah. going to try to do here in this exact like, moment? Let's be realistic with what our offense is. We've been running the ball, but we can't really hit explosive plays passing the ball. Like, Let's be realistic. What our offense is. What so is our I, best I, I, option I, here? I think our best option what, is to get this one yard and score a touchdown. Yes. What really is the game, if that makes sense? What is what? What do you want the game to be decided by? Uh, and I think that's a that's a great way to put it. That's why I was kind of like, all right, whatever. Uh, that's it. a lot of people were just crushing him for that in the moment. And I, I understand where it's a mistake in yeah. a vacuum, but in that exact moment, I get being like, all right, everybody, take a deep breath. What is our yeah. best play? This is the game right here because right. It, it, you're going to have They're such a hard road to win, even if you get the ball yeah. back there. That I get more importance being placed on that decision. And- and he has shown enough stake in a, enough in game management situations that yes. I know that he thinks about this stuff. Like, so I've watched enough Colts games where it's just like he has no worries for me about how he handles fourth downs, how aggressive he is, all that kind of stuff. So to me, it's more like this was a thoughtful decision by him as opposed to like uh, he panicked or something like that, if that makes sense. I tend to agree. So let's talk yep. about the play call itself. It's fourth <laughs> and one. Jonathan yeah. Taylor has been a monster for you. You've run the ball consistently yes. all game. You take him off the field. And throw the ball to your number three running back with your season on the line. Not ideal. Not ideal. Uh, it was open. It I was very open. It was very open. <laughs> so I, yeah, this is one of those moments where, where I just get into meathead. This is how my dad would talk about football mode where I'm like, wow. you give the ball to the guy. I know he's banged up. I know I that re- he's run the ball 20 times on this drive, yeah. whatever. You have one yard. He's your best player. You've run the ball officially all game. Just give it to him. I, I just uh, snap back into Neanderthal mode when I think I about that. Watching the game with my dad, how do you think he he responded uh, on a fourth <laughs> and one? And he knows Jonathan Taylor too. He's watched plenty of Jonathan Taylor in his life, so he 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 knew what knew knew the trade off in that kind of situation. But again, it's like, do you want to bet on Minshew, the one that you're not going to bet on uh, to do a full drive in that situation, or are you going to bet on the guy that pounded the rock over and over and over throughout the game? Uh, yeah, I totally get that. That being said, those moments and, and those kind of failings in the biggest moments in that game yesterday, still think there's a ton to be excited about as it relates to this Colts team. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last night. The Colts were so DOA offensively all of last season and especially near the end of last season. And what they've been able to do with the same offensive line they had last year with a backup quarterback the entire year with a group of skill position players and pass catchers that are good, fine. Fine. You know, it's, yes. it's nothing crazy. Nope. Michael Pittman's had a really nice season. Josh Downs was exciting for a rookie, but yep. it's not like they have high-end talent at every single one of those spots. I think that it's been a thoughtfully constructed offense. I think it's been efficient for what it is. I think that when they drop a top-five talent who we've seen real flashes from into this equation, it's going to be really exciting. And I think that they've gotten enough from their youth on defense, and they've built enough youth and they've kind of constructed like a young, exciting athletic core of the roster that it's just hard not to look at everything they did this year and not be optimistic about what the future looks like. Uh, and I love the offensive makeup. I love the play caller. Obviously, I like how they use their tight ends. They have a versatile group of tight ends, several that can block, several good pass catchers. And then the 
three receivers kind of they need one guy maybe more to kind of put that over that top, or they, they their offense needs of course Anthony Richardson to come back but they need one more pass catcher to kind of put him over the top and that'll be the cherry on top for this offense that is a great place to be it is not a place where you're like man we need two offensive linemen we need a pass catcher we need a running back too and they're going to get a guy like even if you say right now the receiving back was you know insert name here Evan Hole from Northwestern who I like you can drop him in next season he was he was on IR this season but I think this offense with this quarterback coming back in Richardson could be a really really fun one because the flashes we saw just with this offense overall was thoughtful and just even in its simplicity of course that's the biggest compliment we always give to Steigen but I also just think with the moments that we saw the first six-ish weeks with Richardson before he got hurt and just the flashes of play calling the run game stuff was just truly just Awesome. And I'm really excited to see 17 games of that several seasons seasons that I'm very excited where this Colts team's going. They can be very quickly just put over the top. I agree. And I think that they will be a competitive team next year with him in there. A lot of people last night and talking about this on Twitter and like, oh, it'd be fun to watch Richardson and Stroud for the next 10 years. A lot of responses of, well, Richardson's not there and he's so raw. We're forgetting how he looked in those first couple games. That rawness. It was him, not Stroud, that we were talking about first. He yeah. was he looked so good and so comfortable so good. and some of the decisions he was making and how just composed he was in the pocket, so many aspects oh, to yeah. his game where you think, man, the edges of this are sharper than I expected them to be this quickly. He's mentally further along than I think a lot of people are giving him credit for. So yes. I think there's a lot of stuff to be excited about. This team has seventy one million dollars in cap space this offseason. Some of that being a product of them needing to re-sign guys. Michael Pittman is a free agent. Kenny Moore is a free agent. Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman. But they've got a lot of resources to shape this thing how they want moving forward. And the difference between this Colts team and maybe, let's say, the Giants last year, where they overachieve. The Giants were locked into Daniel Jones. Yeah. The Giants had to make that decision. They made the playoffs. They didn't have a quarterback on the roster. The Colts have their quarterback of the future on the roster. He's already there. So, And the offensive line is complete it's set it's not yeah. like the giants who had to rebuild their offensive you're, line you're this adding season. depth to the colts offensive line which is where you want to be with an offensive line you want to be adding depth every single year it's what the eagles have done for the past for like 15 years there's so many aspects to this team and why i feel like they're a little bit different than some of the other teams that maybe overachieved and then take a huge step back i don't even know if they're going to be a playoff team next year but i think that certain aspects of who they are to me are encouraging exciting yep. and a sign of good things moving forward very good bones right now with the Indianapolis Colts. One more here before we move on. Jordan Love, you have my attention. <laughs> yeah. Packers playing for their playoff lives, win and get in game against the Bears defense that have been playing extremely well over the back half of the season. And he did whatever he wanted in this game. 27 of 32 for 316 yards. It felt that easy. He was 7 of 8 on third down with 7 first downs. In the biggest moments of the game, he came through with just fantastic play every single time they needed him in a high leverage moment. And this is what they've been recently. This is what he's been recently. And you look at what he did in this game with a win and get in moment and what Stroud did last night in a win and get in moment. And it felt very similar. And it felt like as the quarterback hierarchy in the NFL was changing and we've lost some guys that have aged out and we're trying to find out what does the table look like? You know, if the table has eight guys at it, who deserves a seat at that table? 
And I think right now, both CJ Stroud and Jordan Love are making pretty good arguments for why they're two of the guys that deserve mention, deserve consideration as we're figuring out what those seats look like. They're they're on it they're, or in it at the table, at the table, or they are like when they say like, you know, March Madness, like first four out, like their first two out or somewhere around there at the very least. I don't consider anybody else when I was trying to make every short list possible. And I think it's fitting that when I was reviewing these games and kind of breaking them down for the show, uh, that both of my notes kind of came to drives that these guys had. Stroud yeah. with his drive in the fourth quarter, and then the drive, uh, the first to the second quarter that the Packers had, the 11-play, 92-yard drive. That deep dig to Jaden Reed was just fantastic. Great, and this is exactly what the Packers are. Great design, a little bit of motion, a little bit of play action, a little bit of aggressiveness from Jordan Love to wait and sit there to hit that dig. And then the young Packer, young Packer player just creating yards after the catch. And that whole drive was awesome. So they had that. They had Jordan Love progressing to a backside dig against cover two. Several good runs. Tucker Craft at the point of attack blocking Montez Sweat and like doing a great job firing off the ball. And like, again, that touchdown at the end with Jordan Love, two wicks who had a great game as well. He had a fantastic and, game. Yeah, he's so explosive. And it's so cool. Again, and, and this is always uh, love just having this identity now in the pocket. I thought Tony Roma doing the impressions of all the Packers quarterbacks yeah, was like a highlight of my entire day. I quarterbacks do that. Like actually, Derek Carr is actually a pretty good quarterback impressionist. Like he he could do all the stances and everything. But um, him doing Favre was like perfect. That was like a dead on impression. He grew up watching Favre. I mean, that's, yeah, he's yeah, got exactly, so many Favre right? reps in yes. his mind. It's deeply ingrained in his memory. Oh, so I hope someone pulls it. He did the chin. And when he did the chin, I was like, "Oh, you've watched a lot of Favre, man. <laughs> that that is like some, that's like a little subtle acting there." But um, but watching Jordan Love and he, how he pushes back in the pocket, and everyone keeps saying off his back foot, and this is where the arm strength comes in. He throws with so much confidence right now. He's throwing it early, but he can do that. He can push back in the pocket because he has the flexibility and the torque and the arm strength to do that. So he's created this understanding and this pocket movement of his own. And it's really cool when you see a quarterback just doing that. And this is like, this is how he plays. Jordan Love plays this way. Josh Allen plays this way. Lamar plays this way. Mahomes plays this way. Um, Stroud plays this way. Jordan Love, but though, has his own identity. And it's just really cool to watch him week after week doing it in like big, big moments. And that touchdown to Wicks, I thought was just the perfect example of it. I totally agree with you. And watching him operate and just attack people and do damage attack. in the pocket over the last... Yeah. Six, eight weeks has been really cool to watch. Yeah. And I don't want to make this about Justin Fields. We're going to have a lot of conversations about Justin Fields over the next couple months. But when you watch what Jordan Love did t- today, when you watch what CJ Stroud did yesterday, when you watch what some of the stuff that Josh Allen is doing from the pocket, that damage you can create as a creative thrower from the pocket as the situation gets muddy, as you have to move off your spot a little bit, that's arm talent. Arm talent and creativity is almost a non-negotiable aspect to elite quarterback play. And you saw the chasm to me, the gap to me between what a guy like Jordan Love is and what a guy like Justin Fields is, even at this stage of his career. And when you have that guy that can create those plays from the pocket, even though it's a little bit out of structure, right? Like he's transcending what is in the play, but it's still working from the pocket and it's creativity as a thrower. That to me is what truly difference making quarterbacks look like. And I think right now he feels and looks like a difference making quarterback. It is they can use that creativity, that little slight extending of plays to create the throwing lanes, which weren't open originally. Yeah. But I, I think what you, like you're saying is bottled the creativity. That that's what they're doing. I, I think when you watch Jordan Love, it's not just the trick shots. 
He's totally in control. That's him and Stroud. Watch them operate these offenses. Yeah. How control is a very feel. good word. Just so in control. And uh, but he's good with protections. And I think when I, I say bottle that creativity, he's doing the trick shots off the back foot. But he's understanding where the leakiness of his protection might come. So mm-hmm. he's drifting and then using that to make the throws. That's Mahomes. Where there's so many times we've seen Mahomes against cover zero on third and long, drifting back, and everyone's like, wow, what a crazy shot. What a crazy throw. And it's like, yeah, but on top of it, he understood why he had to do that. That's that package of it a preternatural feel for that space. And yes. I think that's what you see from these really special quarterbacks. Yep. Even though there is some off-schedule playmaking to their game, that's not what defines nope. how they separate themselves. And I think Love and Stroud are two very good recent examples. Lamar's, yep. even, Lamar's even like that this year. Yep. I know Lamar has made a lot of off-schedule plays throwing the football this year, but a lot of them are still pretty much in the pocket. S- yeah, arm. It's, it's arm yes. angle. It's just yep. creativity as a thrower. And that's where arm talent separates from arm strength. And I think yeah. that that's what we've seen from a lot of these guys. And I think Mahomes is a very good comparison. I'm not trying to say that Jordan Love is Patrick Mahomes, no, but no, no. the feel for that space and the ability to make those plays outside of what is given to you, but not in a I'm creating with my legs or even outside of the pocket sort of way. I think it's important to bucket those plays and understand that that's what drives really good offense in the NFL when you get to this point in the season. It's there's three phases. There's the truly within structure, one to two to three, all that. Then there's that, but extended. Okay, it's one to two, but then I'm working this throwing angle. Okay, there. And then there's the pure full on creativity. It's channeling all three. But real good bears talk though. Tarek Stevenson is a star. Absolutely. There's a lot to be excited about. The the thudding on the re- on the receiver at the end of the half, and then his celebration, wind the clock as he's running into the yeah. locker room. It was like. Even yeah, that PBU he had in the end zone. Like yep. there are just so many things about his game that are awesome. I there there's some down moments with the Bears today too. Tevin Jenkins had a brutal game after what yeah, has oh, been man. a pretty decent season for him. Yes. He's been injured. He's just back in the lineup this week. So I hopefully you know that's just a blip in what has otherwise been a very good year where he shows really good fine, flashes. Yes. So but again, it's an uneven game for the Bears. And I think a lot of people came into that game and were ready to just kind of keep on riding. They were drunk on whatever was happening with the Bears over the last couple of weeks. Really good vibes are in <laughs> Bears land. Uh. This was a sobering <laughs> right moment. And yeah. I, not that I say – not that I'm going to say a loss was a good thing, but I do think that sobering moment might be a benefit to a lot of people as they try to take a step back and properly evaluate everything yeah. that has happened. Not today. Not over the last four games, not over the last eight games, but what has happened over the last two years as you're making the decision about who stays or who goes. That's the quarterback. That's the coach. That's the offensive coordinator. So I think this being the final note of the season has some potential benefits for Kevin Warren and Ryan Poles as they're trying to take a step back, take a deep breath, and properly consider what has to happen next. Yeah, That's all I'm going to say about this. I was going to say it's – yeah, when you watch how Love plays and you're like, oh, I want one of those. And it's like, and I, I love Justin Fields. I'm a big defender of Justin Fields, but it's a different type of quarterbacking. That, 100%. That, is, that's out, that was out on that field in Lambeau. And that's the type that you want. That's the type that gets you to the championships. There's, there's no doubt about that. And I, yep. again, it's me a long off season, but you watch some of the stuff <laughs> that a Caleb Williams can do and it it is different. Yep. Like it just, it just is different. And so, again, that's a discussion we'll have a lot. Last thing, Packers, uh, defensive line. 
yeah. makes me excited about what they could potentially do in the playoffs and moving forward. That young group, Carl Brooks had some moments, Devontae yeah, Wyatt had did. some moments. I love the five O's they were creating on defense. So just one more nice little yep. piece for a Packers team that I think has given us a lot to look forward to uh, this year and with their offense overall. It's going to be fun in the McCarthy Bowl. It's going to be a very, very, very fun game. Hopefully some haymakers are thrown. In in a football sense, not an actual throwing. Well, you know, I'm I'm fine either way. So that that works for me. How many years ago was the Rodgers to Jared Cook throw? To uh, was that? That was 2016. Seven years ago. Okay. 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 I'm pretty sure it was 2016. Yeah. 2016 season. The the, the Cowboys would have been the number one seed that year. It was the Dak year. It was the Dak year. So it was it was on the road in Dallas. I was in New York at a bar watching that game. I vividly remember. Because 2014 was the Des Caudet year, correct? Yes. Yeah. That was yes, because I was with the Falcons then. Yes. So we've had some really fun Packers Cowboys moments over the last ten years. I didn't really think about that. So that's one more layer. Nineties to this. Yes. Which is great. Can't wait. All right. We got a lot of a lot to be excited about, a lot of good things on the horizon. Let's talk about some bad stuff. It's time for I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. We knew this might be coming. We had this conversation in some form on our preview show about which team had ruined its 2022 goodwill the most. The Jags were our number one contender. They finished it off, man. They won the title belt today. Oh, easily. They lose to the Titans after starting the season eight and three. They go one and five in their final six games. The Jacksonville Jaguars are out of the playoffs. And that, and that Monday night, Monday night, Sunday night, yeah, Monday, night Monday night game against Monday night against the Bengals, man. The vibes has been going into that game, and just everything that happened since. It's, I mean, we went on some nice rants on Thursday, but I want to continue them uh, uh, <laughs> on here in a minute. But first off, where would you uns- like to start? The unsinkable Derrick Henry. Uh, first off, uh, four explosive runs, but that when you watch all those Derrick Henry runs, you notice the same exact thing. You see a lot of flailing Jaguars defensive players, a lot of linebackers going into the wrong gap and missing their <laughs> missing their run keys. Um, I think that's one number one thing, and why that's important is this roster is very invested in their linebackers. That is a very highly paid uh, Mike linebacker in Alua Khan, making fifteen million dollars. That's one million dollars more than Matt Milano. That's the exact same amount as Hassan Reddick. I know that's an outside linebacker. I get it's an edge and all that, but still, think of the they impact of the game. Into the first round for the other one. For Devin Lloyd, who has been a way big negative, at least Aluakon can play the run. Devin Lloyd is out of the gap all single time. But I'm just bringing up that position because that is a huge weakness on this defense, but it's a heavy position that is invested heavily, like very heavily, that the Jaguars have. On top of it, other players have regressed. Um, the offense is just so fragile. Oh, I can't wait to get into all this, but Several on top of all that, then you have just, you know, situations in third and one and third and two, fourth and one, fourth and two, just multiple plays and just multiple just botches. And it's just like the Jaguars, like that, that is just what the season has been. So many moments in this game just represent who they have been all season. There was a drop on like a third and six, uh-huh. I want to say. There was, there was, I'm getting all these confused now. Oh my so, god! I, I tried to organize it as well as I could. So there I was guess. a drop on a third and six early in the game, just a drop by Evan Ingram on a corner yeah. route that yeah. They, yeah. they had to punt. Right, the yeah. drop on the interception is just the most Jaguars moment that could have happened this year. Popped it up to him. It was- Trevor hits Evan Ingram on a third down, hits him in the chest. 
he bobbles it so badly that he pops the ball up in the air and it gets mm-hmm. picked off. Mm-hmm. And then Lawrence on the next drive sails a ball for an interception. So he throws two yeah. interceptions, one of which was his fault. The guy's yeah. playing with a shoulder injury. We didn't even know if he was going to play in this game. And I think for yes. the most part, he actually had some really nice moments in this game. Down to down, he was fine in this game. Again, every single week. And I know, I feel like I'm going crazy. And everyone's like, you got to, you always defend him. are so them. pissed at us. They're, so, they're going to be so everyone's, mad at Everyone's like, you always defend him. And I rewatch him. I'm like, but he's good. It's like, what do we, what do you want me to say? I don't know, man. Like, the second interception, I have no idea what happened, but it's like, what do you want me to say? I'm looking at all these other plays. He barely misses Calvin Ridley in the shot play, and everyone was just like losing their mind on a second two shot play that he misses by a hair. And it's like, I had several people tagging me going, whose fault is this? Trevor's or Calvin's? I'm like, it's a 45-year-old throw across the field. It was, it was missed. It happens. He misses that throw, and then he sails the fourth and two throw. Okay? He missed yes. a, a good chunk of throws in this game. Right? Like the, that's- the, the third and two, but oh, sorry, sorry, the trickle down effect. So he misses that second two. Third and two, they run an isolated stop route to Tim Jones because Calvin Ridley has to sit out of play because he's tired from the play before. So that was a little bit of like, no, your no KYP, know your personnel, don't throw it to Tim Jones, even though it's a juicy one on one look. And then the fourth and two, he sails, and this is where I'll defend him. And if you guys want to get mad at me, I totally get this. It's a choice route or it's a out route to Evan Ingram. They already ran that earlier in the game, so the defender jumps and uh, undercuts it. So Trevor's trying to pop it over his head, but it's also one of those things. It's like they ran it before. So, hey, if they jump it, have a backup plan. That's what you have to do as a quarterback. So I don't want to say I'm going to always defend it because I thought there were several moments. The sneak that he called for himself. That's a not mistake. the play. Not the play to call a sneak on. They're pulling a guard on it. That's yeah. a terrible sneak look because there's a get missing gap now or a guy, uh, no one blocking down right there. So right there, it's like I love the aggressiveness. I love him trying to win, but it's like. Keep your bearings. Know your personnel. Uh, have a secondary plan. Don't call your own number when it's not the right time for it, when we maybe have a better plan. But then, thou, sorry, this all comes back down to personnel because they have to – Trevor has to do those plays because they suck in short yardage because they have no running back that's good in short yardage. And their offensive line stinks in short yardage and they have receiving tight ends all through across, <laughs> across the formation. So, it's just uh, – yeah, it's just endless. It's just all naughty with this Jaguars team. He had four or five dot throws on third down in this game. That extended drives. He had a third down that was dropped. He had a tipped ball interception. All of this being said, I think that you can two things can be true at the same time. Down to down, he does so much good stuff in what has yeah. been a really bad situation this year. We've talked about it. They mm-hmm. are bottom three in the league in EPA lost on drops, EPA lost on fumbles, EPA lost on rushing plays, EPA lost on wide receiver and tight end screens. Bottom yeah. three in every single one of those categories yep. with a bad offensive line, objectively bad. Yes. Down to down as a quarterback, he has transcended those circumstances all season. He has played very well down to down. The mistakes cannot happen at this clip and at this volume. The turnovers just cannot happen in this way. That is the one aspect and one mm-hmm. area of his game where it's just unacceptable. He's lost seven fumbles. He will probably end the season with the most turnover-worthy plays of any quarterback. The fumbles are a continuing problem. He lost nine fumbles last year, which was the most in the NFL. So if I'm going to ding him and I'm going to say this is just unacceptable, this is contributing to the problem, it is how often he has put the ball in harm's way. That can be true while also acknowledging that down to down, he gives them very good quarterback play and is a driver of their success. Both of those things can be true at the same time. And I think today was another good example of that while the guy was playing with multiple injuries that probably should have kept him out of the game. Yeah. 
and like didn't practice till Friday and all those types of things. And that's why, I mean, he had a high ankle sprain. He comes back a week later. High ankle sprain sucks, guys. That's like a six-week injury. And he comes back. He's played this entire month and a half, this entire losing streak basically with it. I, I think the turnovers is – I go – I think his fumble stuff is – I feel like it's just always going to happen. I wonder if that's the skinny arms. I wonder if it's the hands. I don't know what it is because it's just how he gets hit. And that is a problem hit. worth acknowledging. It's how he gets hit. It is if your line sucks <laughs> and, and also if you're trying to make plays. And that's the thing. He gets no help. He has to be perfect. If he's not perfect, they're screwed. When the defense was playing well in the first half of the season, it was fine. But now, then they played really well off the bye after they got their asses kicked from the 49ers. And then he had a nice stretch when the offense was actually functioning and everybody's kind of healthy. And actually, we had a fully nice ecosystem. So that's why it's hard because it's like he is part of the problem because of those turnovers. But then he's also one of the only solutions they have. Yeah. Do you know they, they have $35 million next year tied up to Zay Jones and Christian Kirk? Who have prorated contracts through 2027? Prorated contracts through 2027 to Zay Jones. They that's, that's how you be build able a team. To move on from J- Zay Jones after this year. No, though. they can. But yeah. right now, that's that's what it's at right now. If they re-sign Calvin Ridley, they lose the second round pick. So, yeah. and I still think they need receiving help, and I think they need tight end help, and they need offensive line help. They might need three potentially three offensive line starters next year. Like that, this team like has so many holes. And two years ago, they had several first round picks and a wide open slate of books with a what we were hoping to be a franchise quarterback on a rookie deal uh, and i think all the positions they invested in linebackers are targeted every single week old lines a mess rayshon jenkins has fallen off in the back end of the year i, I think that, of course staff changes are going to ha- happen but this roster is just wholly like not in a biblical way and, and biblically bad and then just also it's just yeah it's just like shit it's just like but the, i just it's me frustrated because it's the positions they invested in that are bad it's yes. like the ones that should be your strength are still needing help. And that just, to me, is bad roster construction. And I get it. The How Trevor has turns the ball over does not help. But they, this roster is just so fragile. Yeah. And, I, and again, I think that down to down, he has given them very good quarterback play for the most part. Both of those things can be true. Yeah. They do have some things that they can do to free up some resources, right? They could move on so. from Zay Jones after this year. I, but there are guys along the offensive line that are expensive where they're probably yeah. not playing up to those contracts. But let's say you cut Brandon Scherf after the season. You need to replace him. You need to go yeah. out and get another starter along the he's, offensive line. He's still average. You know what yeah. I mean? But you still need a replacement level guard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's already hard enough to find. Yeah, they. I, we've talked about this. There's no reason to belabor it. They need to go back no. to the drawing board in a bunch of different ways. Roster construction, what the offense looks like, why it looks like that. But I, I do not think that Trevor Lawrence is anywhere no, close no. to the top of the no. problem list for this team right now. He's not. And, and that's, the, again, I, I like that you kept saying it. Like a lot of things can be true at the same time. But it's like this roster roster can stink. He can have some bad moments. But for the most part, he is the strength of the team. Yeah. Down to down. I, I thought, again, he had some really good moments today, <laughs> even with everything. The touchdown to Calvin Ridley on the bomb. He's I like, mo- he, oh, I know, he holds the safety down. It was great. I know, I, that was the first note I wrote because I thought they'd easily win this game, right? Not the unsinkable Derrick Henry. Uh, that, nope, that's that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. One more team-specific conversation here. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. What the hell is going on with the Eagles? How much of this today is, okay, we probably know Dallas is going to win. We probably have nothing to play for. And how much of this is the Eagles are reeling? And this is a significant concern as they're playing against a Bucks team we all thought would get smoked in the wild card round. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how much is in one column and how much is in another column. And that's not a place that you want to be on January 7th. 
No, uh, for a team, and this is supposed to be like an elite unit on both sides of the ball, or at least a very good unit on both sides of the ball, and they just feel woo, grasping at straws. I, I mean, Wink, this is the type exact exact Wink Martindale. Martindale this is the exact type of offensive ecosystem that it, it, like that he gives issues to. They don't have a good pass protecting running back. The Eagles don't, which is also like that was an issue last year too. Remember the Cardinals game last year? Vance Joseph had a fun time against his Eagles offense where he just forced him to throw screens a bunch. Yeah. Remember? It was because yep. they didn't have a pass protecting run back. Um, Hurts and they didn't have throw a hots. plan against those blitzes. blitzes. And I still don't think they have a proper plan against those blitzes. I, I don't get how. And it's either offensive line is fine with it. It's just the running back doesn't go to the right guy or the running back gets gamed up because when you don't involve the tight end, they run so many spread formations the tight end is not involved in the protection. So you're gamed up that six-man protection that you're going to run every single time. Hertz doesn't throw hot as well. like he likes. It. And if you make him predictable, when A.J. Brown's in there, oh, we're going to throw go balls. And even when he's not in there, we're going to throw go balls. And if I'm a defensive coordinator, I can live with that. And again, I thought, again, the Eagles, even when all the starters were in there before they all got pulled, that they got away from the run again. It's just they run the ball, run the ball, and they have to pass. And it's just like, why? Just keep pounding the freaking rock. Even the Colts are running the ball, repeating run of the plays. It's like, why can't what do you, you mean just do that even again? the Colts? The Colts doing it is the best example and the best argument for why this yes. Eagles team is struggling. It should be so much more of a strength. It's, it's ridiculous. Okay, I finally found a stat to encapsulate what I'm trying to talk about here because I, I know we've been harping on this for a while. So, okay, first and second down plays following a run play on the previous snap. You got me? So a run play just happened. They either got a first down or it's the first play, yada, yada. 53.5% of the time in 2022, 47% of the time in 2023. It has dropped down from the second highest rate in the NFL, which would be the first highest rate in the NFL this year, all the way to 10th. And that, and still, oh, it's 10th. It's the Eagles. Like, yeah, they're going to run the ball. You should be able to lean on in those moments. That's that's the drop right there is that little percentage. I know that sounds simplistic, but it's more of the flow of each series. Every series feels like it gets halted at some point. They don't never have that flowy series where they just impose their will. And it's just so, it's so stark when you watch it compared to like just how you feel, felt about them last year. Well, that's losing your play caller. And that's, that's what, I, no, that's I know what I'm saying is. about the comparison to the Colts and how the Colts just yeah. consistently keep running the ball like that. It's because they have the guy that would have done that for the Eagles. He's the one calling their plays. It's and such an easy thing. <laughs> the offense is frustrating and the offense has had its issues this year. The offense is elite compared to what's happening on the other oh, side of the ball. It's a mess. And, and I don't know if it gets fixed. And even if they somehow slip by this Bucks team that <laughs> had six points for a majority of the game against the Panthers, I don't know what's going to happen when they have to play against a real team in the divisional round. I was watching the Cardinals just game them up last week. They just kept getting into certain personnel and certain formations and just getting the Eagles to be predictable. And it was like, oh boy, with that personnel that they have, this kind of flawed personnel, and especially on the back end, and then on top of it, they go, they're predictable <laughs> it's like oh boy and like you say the bucks team that struggled today but i mean look what else is creeping and <laughs> lurking in the nfc playoffs right now tyra taylor went 23 of 32 for 297 yards today against this eagles defense with real players in for a good chunk of the game that's what happened it's we're, we're looking for we're looking toward a potentially ugly exit for this team and some very tough conversations as we get into the offseason. And the only reason that they aren't the answer for which team has spoiled their 2022 good vibes the most is because the Jacksonville Jaguars exist. Yeah, that's about right. Well, we might get to another one in just a minute. <laughs> Let's get to the Sunday Notebook, some quick things that we want to hit before we get out of here. 
we were going to start this discussion by talking about the blow up between Arthur Smith and Dennis Allen at the end of that Falcon Saints game. Instead, we're going to start this discussion by talking about Arthur Smith being fired. Oh. According to Adam Schefter, he has been fired. It is official. He is no longer the coach of the Atlanta Falcons. There is a lot of stuff that I wanted to dig into here. And I think that some of the characterizations of the Arthur Smith era have been a little bit unfair. And some of the Mm -hmm. stuff I saw today and a lot of the stuff that you're going to see tomorrow when this Black Monday discussion begins is he was 7-10 and for three straight years. That's why he got fired. Okay. The 2021 and 2022 Atlanta Falcons ranked 32nd and 31st respectively in cash spending. This was an epic teardown and an epic let's get this huge financial boulder off of us from what the previous regime did as they were trying to get everything they could out of that Matt Ryan, Julio Jones build. Let's reset and let's try to get ourselves into a good spot. The 2022 Atlanta Falcons as a 7-10 and 10 team overachieved. Yeah. They were an overachieving 7-10 and 10 team with a borderline top 10 offense made out of all of these weird pieces and Marcus yeah. Mariota. This 7-10 and 10 version of the Atlanta Falcons underachieved. Yes. So, and again, these two things can be true at once. The fact that there was a lot that they did last year that was above the talent that they had on the roster. And this year, as they made the first push they've made in this Terry Fontenot Arthur Smith partnership, they wanted to win the NFC South and they fell short. This was a disappointing year. So, how you feel about the weight that one disappointing season could have? And the change in trajectory of where this regime was headed, I think ultimately will dictate whether you think he should have been fired after this season. But I think putting what the last three years is into context before we have this discussion is important because I haven't seen a lot of that as this has been thrown about over the last couple of days. I always thought that this was year one basically for this team. Maybe Same. maybe year two of this regime, but more or less year one. Okay, we're going to have a quarterback. He's a third round pick. We'll give him a shot. Whatever happens, happens. Okay, if at least we're not embarrassing, which we'll get to in a second. But as long as we're not embarrassing, hey, we'll just run it back. We'll build off of that. We're a young team. Go from there. We finally have cap space. We can finally find, find, sign free agents. And they Guess did. what? And they hit. <laughs> and Jesse Bates has been an all pro. I'm guaranteed he'll be on everyone's first team all pro team, as he should be. And other guys, uh, Animada, I mean, other guys were good contributors. Clayus Campbell was good for them this Clayus year. Campbell they had a lot solid. of pieces yes. that, that, that spending that they did netted yep. a lot of good players. The, also, I noticed the fancy red graphic that we have here on our YouTube show uh, with the, the firing here. That was tough. That was woo. That shocked me. Even with my red sweatshirt <laughs> on right now, I will say I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna kind of give both sides here. Is that I I was very high on this Falcons team because of what I saw that what at the end of the last year and throughout the year. Even with Marcus Mariota spraying balls everywhere, I was like, hey, if Ritter's okay. This this baby's gonna go because the run game was good. The run game was not good this year. We saw flashes Nothing of it. about the offensive of details were good this year. Nothing was consistent. I thought they were poorly coached at times, which was so shocking to me because they were so well coached the prior two years. There were no real no real staff changes. What was the strength was this run game. And I just every week would just see a botch and I'd be on the show. Going, I'm like, they're close, guys. They're close. And they just every week would have a botch. Somebody would mess up. One guy would mess up. Chris Lindstrom, who was phenomenal last year. And this is why I kept I, I had a comment on him last week about how I would keep him off the Pro Bowl team because he's getting paid. He's one of the best guards in the league. And he was having a botch every single week that were devastating to their offense. So I also think on the other side was I think people got really lazy with the memes and the jokes about Arthur Smith, and we're not paying attention to 
any of the games that were happening, because I watched a lot of these Falcons games, especially early in the year, early in the year, we're not paying attention to any of the context that anything was happening. They're just seeing the red zone channel turnovers with Ritter. So I thought that was the other side of it, because there were good moments. They just weren't consistent. And when that's that's why we're here. <laughs> and I thought that how this defense played was awesome. I, I thought the defense coordinator did a great job. But I also just think if the offense, this was your strength, this is what you invested in with draft picks. And this was, we're talking a lot of, you know, mad shit here. And now it's a weakness every single week. And that's the reasons that you're losing the game. And I also just think that sometimes Arthur Smith, just watching from far, I would watch him. He would acknowledge the noise. And I think as a head coach, sometimes I don't want to criticize head coachings like this, uh, but it's like, sometimes it's just like, have some confidence in what you were just doing. Say like, hey, Desmond Ritter's our guy. Hey, you know, we have an offensive plan. Sometimes our guys don't get the ball, yada, yada. But I'll say that sometimes it was very frustrating for me because I'll be like, hey, this offense is doing the right things. The most recent Bucks game, they lost. I think uh, Drake London went for a bunch of yards. Bijan had some touchdowns and stuff like that. No one said shit about Arthur Smith because all anyone cares about box scores of fantasy points. And that that's the thing. That's what would frustrate me. The stuff that they would do good, everyone would be making fun of them. And then they actually like lost the game and no one said anything. They lost the game to knock him out of the playoffs, and no one said a word. No one criticized Arthur Smith because of yardage, and I'm guaranteed that's what happened. I paid attention. I've been wait, waiting to rant on that for weeks, but I think he just sometimes how he performed at, in these kind of crunch moments and how he reacted, it kind of had an effect on his team, and I just like it really just felt like that throughout the entire year. I think some people are going to look at the failing and the firing and say they bet on Desmond Ritter. That was the mistake that they made. If this offense had otherwise done a lot of good things, if they were the exact same offense on the details that they were in 2022, but Desmond Ritter played badly, it would not be hard to get to the end of the season and say, okay, they deserve a chance to go get a quarterback, to make a big play. Because the bet that they made as a franchise was, we're going to build up everything. We've seen too many other teams take a quarterback high without the proper infrastructure and fail that guy in advance uh-huh. of whatever he was going to be. We're not going to do that. And we're going to bet that we can drop mediocre quarterback play in here because we have a well-constructed offense with yes. the right personnel around it, and we're going to be able to succeed that way. If that was just the fault of the quarterback, then you could talk yourself into this getting another year. That's yep. the problem is it's not. It wasn't just the fault of the quarterback. That bet that they made on the offensive infrastructure, that's the bet that ultimately failed because the arrow was no longer pointing in the right direction with every other aspect of who they were on that side of the ball. And I think that if he didn't get fired, one of the aspects of the conversation I wanted to have was some of the things that might have been coming out were, well, they never they had Desmond Ritter at quarterback. They made that bet. Yeah. They made that decision. They yes. decided to build it this way. They have to live with it. But again, I think if it was just the quarterback, you could say, eh, can they go get even a stopgap veteran? Let's see what it looks like with that. But because all of the other elements of who they were offensively started to deteriorate in a road, I yep. think that ultimately is why this decision gets made and why they have some of those embarrassing moments near the end of the season. That's why those Ritter turnovers were so devastating is because of the lack of sustainability that was happening without the rest of the offense. For a good chunk of the season, Ritter was the most consistent part was passing the ball. Of course, the turnovers would happen. But as far as down to down, the run game that was supposed to be a legit top four unit that I gush about every single week, like I talk about the Rams offense, that's what that was supposed to look like. And they just were, they were bad. Uh, they were bottom 10 in every yeah. metric that we look at. And that can't happen. If, if you're going to spend the eighth overall pick on a running back, you're, if you're going to build your offense this way, no. you cannot be a bottom it's 10 It's your strength. Team. 
Yes. You're supposed to you're supposed to be zagging when everyone else was zigging. Like, hey, hey, we're checking, we're doing all this, we're building around the quarterbacks. All right, we're gonna pound the rock, run play action, explosive plays, control the game. I understood the identity, but they they kind of failed in executing that throughout the year. And I just think everything that was supposed to be their strength just kind of fell apart, which is just like, where does that start? And it usually starts at the top. And now we have a huge set of decisions that they have to make this offseason. One, who's going to be the coach? Two, who's going to be the quarterback? I will keep coming back to this every single time. This, to me, feels like the proper Justin Fields team if they cannot get in range to draft somebody else. I think that him with those weapons – in an offense that is built around his strengths, if you bring in an offensive coordinator and you say, listen, this is the model that we're going with, mm-hmm. I would have been excited to see that in an Arthur Smith-type offense. Or I would have been excited to see Justin Fields in the 2022 Falcons offense. I guess yes. that's what I would say. Yes. Now, what does the 2024 Atlanta Falcons offense look like? I don't know. But I do think that an option like that, if they can't get in range to draft a guy in the top 10, would excite me based on some of the other offensive pieces that they have. It'll be appealing. I mean, you got to think what what – the ones that are open right now. So you got the Chargers because they got Justin Herbert. And then the Falcons, though, they got an okay offensive line. I know I just bashed them for – I just, <laughs> just buried them for the about 10 minutes. personnel has shown that it but is capable, though. They, their offense is one receiver away from being just legit, legit, no matter who's calling plays. Like, one, that's it. Uh, because everything else, all the other pieces kind of fit in nicely, no matter who calls plays. And, of course, the quarterback. But that that's assumed. And that is going to be, again, a big decision that they have to make this offseason. So we were going to talk about the Dennis Allen thing and them going for it and them scoring the touchdown. And then, again, none of that yeah, really matters now that Arthur Smith has been Jameis fired, Winston, so. man, just going rogue. I made a team decision. I was like, thank you, Jameis. Thank you for sending off Week 18 in a, in a fine way. <laughs> Only way you can, buddy. The Iowa game we did not talk about was the Steelers winning yesterday. The Steelers are now in the playoffs. They're 10 and 7. Mike Tomlin has still never had a losing season. The one thing I wanted to talk about with this, though, I think that is the thing we all click into in that moment. The moment that they get into the playoffs, it's like, oh man, Mike Tomlin did it again. And I saw so many people yesterday like, yeah, they did this with bottom 10 quarterback play. They won 10 games again, and now they're back in the playoffs. I, I want to just take a step back and interrogate this discussion a little bit. Mike Tomlin hired Matt Canada. Mike Tomlin is in charge of overseeing how this offense is going to get built. Mike Tomlin doesn't just get credit for overcoming what the Steelers offense was for the first 12 weeks of the season. But that's not how this should work. And I think that there is a real disconnect between how the national media, and I have been a part of that very often over the last couple of years, talks and thinks about this current regime. And how Steelers fans talk and think about this current regime. Because I think from the outside, it's very easy to look at the no losing season stat and look at them in the playoffs consistently all year after year and say, man, look at how great and rock solid this is. And if you're a Steelers fan thinking, I don't really care about getting into the wild card round and getting our brains beat in with no real chance to do everything every single season. So I think that it's that's I, that's really what I want to talk about. It's just like again taking a slight step back and really considering the aggregate of what this means and what the Steelers are and whether or not we should just be celebrating a similar sort of feel from a Steelers season again. I I think the Matt Canada experience was just he was in the building, he was across the road, he was across the uh, duplex that they share in Pittsburgh as well, the UPMC yeah center I believe I believe uh, performance performance complex. Uh, but also, okay, you knew that 
this guy has been kind of tossed, fired at every stop he's ever been at, like one year after another in college. You don't ask anybody. Like you don't like kind of know what you're buying there. It's like he, it's a known product who's never called plays in the NFL uh, as well. And a, a guy that's known to max out the college football or the college rules that you can get away with. And that's what it was just always so confusing for me. There always feels like such a disconnect there. I feel like this team that's always so detailed and plays hard and all these vets and everything. And all of a sudden it's like that. And it just always just felt that Canada thing that I always had is weird. And I, I want to know more. I would probably never find out more. But it's just when you watch that and then you watch how the defense plays, it's like, how is that this is the same team? How is that in the same building at the same time? And yes, they win. And like you said, how does Mason Rudolph end up being now the best quarterback that's played on this team this entire year? Like, how isn't he the first backup that played this year? Like, even with the makeup, I, I get why money isn't tied and everything, but it was just, they never make sense. And I've never felt more skeezy about nailing a preseason prediction. But that's what the Steelers have made me feel like. They just made me feel yucky for nailing that they'll be a wild card team this year. I I think that how is this true? How are both of these things happening simultaneously? Is the right way to think about it? Because Mike Tomlin deserves a ton of credit for how yes. hard this team plays, for what the defense looks like every single year, for the competitiveness that they show consistently. That is what he has built there in Pittsburgh. But he also is he deserves credit or blame for what certain aspects of this roster have looked like and what the plan on offense has looked like. So I just think that it's we shouldn't be so quick necessarily to just consistently celebrate what this team is because there still is a pretty significant gap between them and the elite teams in the NFL, and they don't really have a plan for how they're going to close that gap because yeah. they're consistently in the middle. They, they need to have a plan for who the quarterback is going to be and who the offensive play caller is going to be before I get excited about this team and before I just bucket everything that they're doing in, oh, this is good because they had another winning season. That's it. Well, that, that, that's well, the only kind of nuance I wanted to bring to this. It's it's like funny. I mean, Tomlin and Belichick, really, um, it just shows like how many hats – head coaches have to wear and how many how the strengths of every head coach is so different but it's like you have to be a ceo of course but some guys are play callers some guys have to be coaching talent evaluators like that's one thing one that uh, uh, he was my head coach at wisconsin but brett bielma is a fantastic coaching talent evaluator a lot of his guys get hired but also you have game management stuff some guys are talent evaluators too they have say on the roster and it's just like it seems like his coaching town evaluation is one that's very lacking and it's just very interesting to happen at this kind of phase right now that it's like man shouldn't they be young and invigorating on offense instead they just feel like static and slow and stalled even though ben roethlisberger isn't their quarterback anymore i think that they can quickly fix this though i think that if they go get the right guy they have they have playmakers on offense they've been able to run the ball consistently they have pieces along the offensive line Oh man, the ro- I told you the ro- the run game is rogue from X Men. They just steal a run a run concept each week from a team that they play the prior week. But it works for them. It works because they do have talent and they've invested. They have offensive alignment. They invested in. and this defense since week ten has been pretty damn good. It's been a Steelers defense first in success rate since week ten since they had a little mini buy. Um, but yeah, top ten. This APA, is something so. that can quickly get fixed, and it's yes. something that they with the right decisions they could be a really interesting team next but year. It's but it's always the Steelers, so you never know what they're freaking going to do. And that's what's I don't know. Like. I, you don't I, I know. know. But I, the comparison that I make is what Jim Harbaugh, what Jeff Harbaugh, Jeff Harbaugh. God, I'm Jeff. Just, it's it's been a long season. How about Jack? Throw Jack in there. Is that what John Harbaugh <laughs> did this off season? With going to get Todd Monken. That's what yes. the Steelers need. 
They need their version of Todd Monk in this offseason, and Lamar Jackson isn't walking through that door, but that Kirk Cousins dude. might, Justin Fields might, yes. somebody might. And if you get those two things right, you suddenly become really interesting, but Jacoby we Brissett. should not give them a pass for the swings and the misses that they have had at the two most important aspects of who your offense is, your play caller and your quarterback, and they are no. still there. That, uh, bringing up Munkin is such a great comparison. Coming from college, you know, but he had NFL experience, but also had success at places he had, and play everybody liked him, you know. Like, but that's another component of all this. But just the difference of like what these guys hire when they reach out of their kind of like systems. One more bummer from today: the Lions lose a couple guys to injury. Sam Reporta has a hyperextended knee and a bone bruise. Sounds like he's going to miss some time and may yeah. not be able to play this weekend in a huge playoff game. I understand if you're Detroit. Thinking, okay, if we win and the Lions and the, the Cowboys lose, we get the two seed. There actually is something on the line and treating this game that way. But there was a very good chance the Cowboys are probably going to win and to lose Sam Laporta, who has been a vital piece of the offense. Yeah. Like, that is not overstating it. He is no. a vital piece of who they are. And for him to potentially not be able to play in a game where you might have to keep pace with the Rams is a huge deal. Yes. Yes, I, I mean he's a huge cog in this offense, and also Khalif Raymond banged up as well. But it's just like with this offense and how everything is orchestrated perfectly, and Ben Johnson's done a great job of kind of like when they've had guys out. But Laporta has just been a constant difference maker every single week. So this is brutal. I mean, I, I get it, and some people were mad about it, but I understand what the Lions' philosophy on all this and why they did it. But it's just like, man, it just stinks. It's more just as a football watcher, and probably Lions fans are bummed too. Of course, that's how I feel as well. Yeah. The 2024 draft order is set. The Bears obviously have the number one pick. We get Washington at number two, Patriots at three. The Cardinals missing that field goal puts them at four. The yeah. Chargers are at five. So that is your top five. If Matt Prater makes that kick, the Chargers are picking fourth. I joked about this a little bit earlier today. In a world where quarterbacks went one, two, three, the Bears, Washington, and New England pick them, mm -hmm. we could have had a moment where Marvin Harrison Jr. could have landed with Justin Herbert with the fourth overall pick. That reality is gone, but there is still a chance that he can land with Kyler Murray if quarterbacks go one, two, three, and I would be very excited to watch that. I know. But that's what we're looking at. So you have yep. three teams at the top that probably need quarterbacks. Yep. We have three teams at the top that probably are going to, at least two of them, I think, are probably going to move on from their head coaches and are moving into new regimes. So how that ultimately shakes out is going to be fascinating. The Giants at six need to play ca pass catcher. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, sorry. I thought you were going to end the show. I got two special shout outs once we we're done with the draft or stuff. So sorry about that. Oh, sorry the, well, the last thing I wanted to talk about before we get out of here, uh, outside of the top 10, one of those teams picking in the top 10 is the New England Patriots. Yes. What is going to happen with Bill Belichick becomes the biggest question that we're going to have to answer here over the next 48 hours. I know that we've spent a lot of time thinking about it over the last couple months, so it kind of seems overdone and overplayed at this point, but I think it's important to acknowledge that the best coach in the history of the sport potentially could get fired tomorrow. Yeah. And yeah. I understand them doing it. And the biggest question I have beyond what comes next for New England, because we'll spend a lot of time considering that, is what comes next for Bill Belichick? If you're one of these teams, is Bill Belichick a worthwhile hire? Is he somebody worth chasing in this cycle? And I think the answer is yes for a team in the right circumstances because mm -hmm. he is still a very good defensive coach. And if you give him proper pieces, I think that he can still be a real pain in the ass for anybody.
So with the right type of roster, I, I still think the answer is yes. But the idea that Bill Belichick could potentially, whether they call it a mutual parting of the ways or it's an actual firing, could no longer be the Patriots coach tomorrow is a very real possibility. It's just a reality I'd never thought I had to come across. Like, you yeah. know, I thought I was like, yeah, I've never had just really had to deal with. But just also just the Patriots identity is finally potentially changing for the first time in forever in, uh, you know, 20 something years. So it's just, it's remarkable. I think Belichick is going to have at least several suitors. I'm going to be very interested in what happens there if he, if he does become and a who those are. Everything. It's going to be very, very interesting. Okay. My little special shout out real quick. The Cardinals fake pump play against the Seahawks. Did you see it? Yes, it was awesome. I did. With yes. the kicker and punt, the kicker and punter on the field with Kyler on the field yes. and they caught the Seahawks snoozing. I mean, that, that, that's one of those last game of the year, no reason to hold anything back moments. No, but oh, just the Cardinals. Those frisky Cardinals. I'm going to be obnoxious about them the next six months. And the other one is Zeke complaining about or talk about how he always wanted to play in the snow. And then he goes, it actually sucks. And that that was just like that was just perfect. I was like, that's exactly right, Zeke. You think it's gonna be great? It's not fun. It's not fun, especially when it's windy to tie in. I know not to just go. Yeah, Bill Belichick, greatest coach of all time. How about that trick play with the Cardinals that actually didn't end up mattering in the grand scheme of things? Listen, we'll have a lot of time to talk about this over the next couple yes. of days. We've got some extra shows this week. Just a heads up, me and Diana are going to be wrapping up everything that happens in the coaching world. That will be available for you guys on Tuesday. And then we are going to be having a midseason award. Midseason again. Sorry, it's been a long night. It basically, we're is. we got the playoffs, baby. <laughs> end of <laughs> season awards show coming your way on Wednesday, along with prospects to pros. Just because we need to do it, we we got to do it somewhere. Yes. There's a ton of awards that I think deserve a lot of can't wait. Really good conversation that we are going to have tomorrow, and that'll be available for you guys on Wednesday. So excited about that. Other than that. Uh, regularly scheduled programming with prospects to pros with me and chase all that stuff coming your way this week so that is the end of the regular season a fantastic regular season and we are set up for a great playoffs so thank you very very much for everyone who has listened over the course of the year if you could do us a favor and go leave a review on apple spotify wherever you happen to listen i would consider it a personal favor so sincerely appreciate that and sincerely appreciate all of the time you guys have spent with us especially those watching live on youtube all season means a ton and we are very excited for how the playoffs are going to shape up here this was the athletic football show